Welcome to the Salem Fields Community Church Podcast of the Weekly Message. We hope that you find this podcast personally helpful, and we also encourage you to share the subscription link found at salemfields.com podcast with your friends that might be able to use some practical advice and encouragement. Good morning. I've been watching a lot of Alfred Hitchcock lately. You know how he goes, good evening. <laughs> I watched it a lot when I was a kid, and now I'm watching it again in black and white. I don't know, I'm weird. Well, many of you know that I recently returned from Israel. Israel is the homeland of our faith. And I got to tell you, a month ago, I had no idea I was going on this trip. And uh, somehow God just and circumstances just worked. I had turned the trip down last year and uh, said, no, I kind of broke my brother's heart. Can't do it. And, uh, And then two weeks before we left somehow it just began to happen. And I found myself uh, in Israel like, what, you know, what? And uh, and I'm kind of still that way. Um, I now have a new time measurement for my life. It's B-I and A-I, before Israel and then after Israel. Because I got to tell you, it changed me. It really humbled me. Um, It changed me in ways that I haven't really fully absorbed yet. It was just so much that um, I said, what God? I mean, what's going on here? And But things are different for me now. And I really can't tell you exactly how that, what that is. But a week and a half, and a, a week and a half ago, I found myself uh, high on a barren mountain out in the Judean desert um, on the West Bank, overlooking the Sea of Galilee at this place. It's called Masada. Chris, I know you've, have you been there? Uh, and then anybody else? I had two people last night that, have, that were there. You were, you've been there? Uh, this is called Masada. And um, it's, the, it's the remains of King Herod's winter palace. And it's outside of Jerusalem. And this place is uh, incredible. It's, Masada means stronghold. And it was built somewhere 37 to 4 BC. And uh, it has in, in it, it has these opulent saunas. I mean, you can walk through there and the, and the uh, walls were, were beautifully colored. Everything above that black line has been reconstructed, but everything below has been, it's, it's still uh, original. And um, it has these large cisterns where they could keep water there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people for over long periods of time. They had these grain bins that were dug out of the rock that would keep enough grain there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people over long periods of time. And, and we were told this story about Masada that just a short 30 some, 30 odd years uh, after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Jerusalem had fallen um, to the Romans. The Romans came in and Jesus had been there. He had been crucified, resurrected, and the Romans came in and annihilated Jerusalem. And, And there were Jewish patriots that fled to this place. They were out there and it was the last stronghold that they had against the Roman army. 
And the Roman army was advancing. Historians tell us, Josephus, the the Jewish uh, historian, tells this story about how the Romans were were approaching and they could see them coming. And there was uh, like these 18-foot walls and the Romans would take these battering rams. I mean, the the genius of the people of that day is just mind-boggling to me how they did what they did. I mean, they had stones that were like 500 tons and somehow they were able to take these, I don't know, it was just mind-boggling to me. But there was this last stronghold at Masada uh, and the Jewish people, the Jewish patriots had come out there and and Rome was, was coming to conquer Masada And inside was 960 Jewish men, women, and children. And they determined that they were not going to be taken by the Romans. And so they killed everybody. They killed the children and the women, and they committed suicide. 960 people. When the Romans got in there, they found them all dead except for one or two women and five children who told them the story and who who gave them some information. But these people were willing to choose death over Roman slavery. But once again, I was in this story of God, how he had a chosen people, and there were times when they would follow his ways, but then there were times when they would just go their own way and do their own thing. And obviously, these people took their own fate into their own hands. Wait for God to deliver us? Uh Uh-uh. We're going to choose our own way. And still today, there's this Masada complex. Our guide was telling about this Masada complex. And he said that Prime Minister Golda Meir had a Masada complex. And and on her watch, as Israel's armies were advancing, she came close to ordering the atomic bomb, believing that it was better for everybody to die than to be taken over by the enemy. There was no waiting on God to deliver the people. And our guide was telling us he remembered as a young teen how the warplanes were overhead and there was this impending sense of doom. He can remember that, he said, like yesterday. And he said, he looked at us Americans and he said, if it wasn't for your Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger, the world as we knew it would have ended. I didn't even know all that. And he remembered it, he said, like yesterday. See, the same thing happened at Masada in 73 AD, after Jesus was gone. The people had lost hope. And and they followed through by choosing their own fate and not depending on God. Yet here's the thing. Just 37 years earlier, their hope was in Jerusalem. And his name was Jesus. And he had come claiming to be the Messiah. He was right there in Jerusalem claiming to be the Messiah. And he had this different message. He had a message of peace and restoration. It was different than they expected, different than they even wanted. But his message was one of forgiveness of sins and healing for anybody that would believe he was God's son. 
And they'd seen him perform miracles. And they, they heard him talk about a different kind of justice and a different kind of kingdom, a kingdom that would be born in the hearts of people, no matter what the circumstances of the day was, no matter how much war was going on, that there was a peace that the people could have that would be born in their hearts and that they could be transformed and that they could be changed through his kingdom. And they could have peace no matter how bleak their circumstances. But the majority of the people, they didn't want that kind of message. They didn't like the idea of freedom coming through love and forgiveness and mercy. It didn't fit their idea of conquest and winning. They wanted a rebel leader. They wanted somebody that would seek revenge and conquer the Romans and annihilate the people and destroy their enemies. An eye for an eye. And if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back even worse. They wanted somebody. They wanted somebody like Barabbas. And when Barabbas was offered, they said, yeah, we'll take him because he's a murderer. He's a rebel leader and he will destroy our enemies. We don't want somebody that's preaching forgiveness and love. And mercy, that's not the kind of message that we want. And many looked to Barabbas when they, he was released. They looked to him as his, their Messiah. And they also watched him be destroyed, killed. See, they looked to the wrong one for hope. They looked to the wrong place for their hope. Hope was right there in front of them and they missed him. You know what? It's still happening today. The majority of the people in Israel still reject Jesus. They still reject that message. See, the way of Jesus was, and it still is, forgiveness. A different kind of kingdom. A kingdom that's born in our hearts. Well, this series, People Choice, many of you asked for a message on forgiveness. It was one of the most popular uh, subjects that uh, people chose. Well, a preacher, uh, a preacher's sermon was on forgiving your enemies. And uh, toward the end of the service, he asked the people, he said, how many of you have forgiven your enemies? I could ask you too, how many, but I won't right now. How many of you have forgiven your enemies? And about half of the people raised their hand and it was getting close to lunchtime. People wanted to get out. And he asked this question again. He said, how many of you have forgiven your enemies? And about 80% of the people raised their hands. And he says, now, come on guys, how many of you have forgiven your enemies? And everybody in that place, except one little elderly lady raised her hand. And he said, Mrs. Smith, are you not willing to forgive your enemies? And she said, well, I don't have any. And he said, well, that's very unusual. How old are you? And she said, I'm 93. And he said, wow, why don't you come down here and tell us how you can live your whole life and not have one enemy in the whole world. And so the sweet little lady, she comes walking down to the front and she turns around and she faces the congregation and she says, I outlived the old hags. Well, you and I, we don't have to wait until those who have hurt us die. We don't have to wait till they just go away and get out of our sight. 
In fact, if that's what we're waiting for, we'll never find it. Because forgiveness is a matter of our heart. And the Bible says that every single one of us, we're all in the same boat. We've all sinned. Every single one of us have messed up. Just like that song says, second chances, man. We need second chances. We need to be forgiven. And so when we believe in Jesus as our Savior, as the Son of God, and we ask him to forgive us of our sins and wipe our slate clean, he does it, and that is good news. And in 1 John, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. We all need a Savior. If we confess our sins, if we come and we say, man, I messed up, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's good news. That's how much God loves us. We all need forgiveness. And if you haven't accepted him as your savior, and if you haven't received forgiveness of your sins, you can do that today. This is where your healing begins. This is where your freedom comes from. And in Psalm 103, it says, despite all of your many offenses, he forgives and he releases you more than any doctor. He heals your diseases. Because see, sin is like a disease. It's like a cancer that eats away at our soul. And until we have a power that's stronger than that sin, we'll die to it. Jesus came and he said, we can have life and we can have it more abundantly and we can be forgiven. But my suspicion when I was preparing this message was not about people asking about their own forgiveness. I suspected that when it was asked for, it was more about how do I forgive somebody who has just hurt me to the very core of my being? That every time I think of, you know, I just don't think of that person very often, but when I do, it comes up all over again. How, what do I do when I've been done wrong? We're done wrong in traffic every day, aren't we? <laughs> but what do I do when somebody has betrayed me? Or when somebody innocently, I just entered into a relationship. I was maybe a child and I was just betrayed. And that person still has never asked for forgiveness. Maybe never will. Well, before I get to the how, we need to look at the why. Every single one of us need to have a good, solid reason why we choose what we choose so that when we get into the process of forgiveness, we can look back and say, I know I chose to forgive because da-da-da-da-da. And that's what we're going to look at today. Why? Why choose to forgive somebody that has hurt you at the very core of who you are? Or you've had to live your whole life with the residue of what's happened. We know that we're supposed to forgive, right? We come to church. We know the Bible talks about forgive and all that. We know that we're supposed to, but why? So right now, what I want you to do, we all have it, is to think of the who. Think of, think of the the most difficult person that it's been for you to forgive or that has had the most impact on your life that has hurt you. You know the most common, right? Uh, Ex-spouses. That's one of the most common. Um, maybe it's your spouse. 
Maybe you're in a relationship and this person just keeps hurting you, keeps doing things that just keep hurting you. Maybe it's a daughter-in-law. Maybe it's a parent that just wasn't there for you. Maybe it was someone who abused you physically or emotionally, just put you down all the time. All you heard was you're just never good enough. I heard a horrific story just yesterday. Maybe it's somebody that did someone wrong that you love. Like, don't do my child wrong. See, when they're out of sight, we don't think about it too much. But there are times when your life just gets thrown up because there it is again. You know, maybe the person that you need to forgive is you. Maybe it's the person you look at in the mirror every day. You are the same as others. Forgiving yourself is the same as forgiving others. You, you try to forget, but you just got this underlying depression or anger, or as much as you try, you just can't stop blaming that person for how tough your life is right now. Well, if it wouldn't have been for that, then I'd be all right. So why should I forgive? We need a good solid reason. So we're going to look at a, three different reasons. First of all, here's the first reason. Unforgiveness gives your enemy power to keep hurting you. See, when we choose to withhold forgiveness, our heart cannot heal because unforgiveness is like a venom in our heart that only feeds the wound. Oh, we can pack it down and we can pretend it's not there and we can say it'll be okay or we can blow it off, but it's still there. And, and, and what we do is we put the enemy, we put our enemy, that person that has hurt us, and who is our enemy? The one who holds the most power to hurt us. We put our enemy in the driver's seat of our life. They're in control. Because we say it's because of them that my life is in this situation. And if they would just change, then I would be okay. They are in the driver's seat. They are in control of your life. Unforgiveness only deepens the pain and we stay stuck. And you know what happens from a psychological standpoint? We act in ways that sabotage our own life and sabotage our relationships. Because we take that unresolved stuff and we take it out on the people closest to us. And we don't know how to resolve it. Who remembers this? Da -da -da. Yeah, we watched it, didn't we? Um, <laughs> Buddy and I were watching a show the other night. Maybe you saw it. It's the 20-year anniversary of this event. And um, we watched it, and it's the 20-year it's the anniversary of the trial of O.J. Simpson, and he was accused of killing his, his wife and Ronald Goldman. And I was really struck. Uh, by Kim Goldman has written a book called Can't Forgive. And the tagline tells it all. My 20-year battle with O.J. Simpson. You see, she is still a victim of O.J. Simpson. He is still controlling her life. She's been stuck for 20 years, still his victim. She's allowing her freedom 
She's allowing her life to be dependent on if this guy would just confess or if the courts once and for all would prove 100% that he did it, then I'd be okay. It ain't gonna happen. But her life, OJ is holding the key to her freedom. Because she's turned over her life, she's dependent on something that he needs to do in order for her to be better. We get stuck. We bind ourselves up in our own prison. Unforgiveness gives power to our enemy. And forgiving, forgiving means surrendering the need for another person to change. That's hard, isn't it? It means surrendering that somebody else is responsible for my peace and my freedom. We do it. If that isn't enough, another reason is that forgiveness is the gateway. Keep that word in mind, the gateway to your healing and a peace that passes all understanding. It's the first step. Choosing to forgive is the first step to resolving the past and to clearing the path for the future. If we ever hope to be fully alive, we're going to have to dig that. We're going to have to have an archaeological dig of our soul and allow that stuff to come out so that it can heal and it doesn't seep into our other relationships or into the way that we do our life. Now, if you don't like this Jesus stuff, if you don't like the spiritual side of it, I've got scientific research for you. Scientific research has just come out talking about the benefits of forgiveness to your health. I always find it interesting when science backs up the Bible. <laughs> but if, even if you don't like the Bible, we've got scientific research. And it says that holding grudges and replaying these injustices over and over and unresolved relationships, well, that's just going to increase your stress. It's going to increase your anxiety. And resentment will, will erode our ability to manage stress in our life. And so we have to look at, am I angry? Am I stressed out? Am I dealing with anxiety all the time? You know, research even has just come out to say that cynics, people that are cynical, are more likely to get dementia. It makes sense to me because it depletes our brains physiologically and, and it, it, it causes us to tense up and it causes us to carry around and manage this kind of weight inside of us that we're always trying to kind of forget about or push down or make go away or blow off or whatever. We spend so much time just managing it. So do you deal with anxiety or stress? Do you feel depressed sometimes, um, fearful? You know, it could just be that there's something that needs to be unearthed. There could just be something in your life that's unresolved. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to forgive. See, forgiving, it removes the weight when we make that choice and we lay that foundation to say, you know what, God, I'm going to walk this pathway and I'm going to become a forgiving person. We make that choice. You know, it just might be what the doctor should order for you. 
Jesus says very clearly to us, he says, come to me. If you're weary and you're heavy, I can give you rest. I can give you rest if you look to me. Which brings us to a third really good reason to forgive. It's the way of Jesus. Remember Masada? Remember the people there? Hope was right in front of the people and they missed it. They wanted revenge. They wanted to get back. They didn't want a message of healing in their hearts. They didn't want a message of forgiveness. They chose their own way. Instead of going with Jesus, they still are in Israel and in the United States and all around the world. People are still rejecting his message. It's hard to wait on God. But we have the very same choice that the people in Masada had. To follow and trust Jesus and his message or to reject it. To say, I'll do it my own way. Listen to his words. He, Jesus says, if you forgive people when they sin against you, then your father will forgive you when you sin against him and when you sin against your neighbor. What? You mean I can't have forgiveness if I'm not forgiving? Well, he says, but if you do not forgive your neighbor's sins, your father won't forgive you. Yeah, but we all need forgiveness. We've all messed up. We all need a second chance. I need to be forgiven. Jesus clearly says then forgiveness is a choice that it's time for you to make. See, when we've been done wrong, everything within us, I know I've been there. When we've been done wrong, everything, whether it's in traffic or whether it's with a spouse or whether it's with somebody we don't like, everything within us says, you know what? I'm going to get back. I'm going to hurt them just like they've been, they've hurt me. That's the way of us. That's the way of the people. That's our own way. But Jesus says, I ask you to do the impossible. I ask you to consider that there's a kingdom that can be built in your heart that can restore you back to who I originally designed you to be, where you can find freedom and you can find a peace that passes all understanding and, and your life is not dependent on what somebody else does. Your life is dependent on Jesus and Jesus alone. You see, the focus shifts from having it on the enemy to having it on the healing of our own heart. See, everything within us wants to win. It's how our minds are almost set up in the world that we live in. It's always top dog. It's always who can get the, the better weapon, who can get the bigger. That's just what we're conditioned to do. But Jesus says, that's not my way. He says, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Even when he taught us to pray, he said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's the way of Jesus. It's what he calls us to. Now listen to this. Forgiveness does not mean excusing bad behavior. It does not mean allowing yourself to be abused. 
It does not mean forgiving and forgetting. Whoever came up with that phrase had no idea what they were talking about because once that's a myth. Once something happens in our minds, we do not forget. It's indelibly imprinted in our brain. It doesn't mean denying the hurt and the pain that somebody else has caused us. It's just the opposite of that. All of that are the tools that God wants to use in order to restore his kingdom in our heart. It's remembering and walking with him and allowing him to restore us. These are the tools that he finds, that he uses. See, the focus shifts from our enemy to Jesus and our heal, the healing of our hearts through his blood that he shed on the cross and his righteousness. Deny it and it'll control you. Allow God to walk through it with you to restore to a place of healing and you will experience a peace that passes all understanding. I was standing in the middle of that, that country, that state, I, and, and there was something that I can't even put into words to you. And this is what Jesus has for us in our hearts. In spite of your bad circumstances, in spite of those people in your life that just grate on your last nerve, you can have a peace that passes all understanding. So have you zeroed in on at least one reason, one reason to choose to forgive? Maybe today you're ready to lay that grudge down. Maybe it's the right timing for you today. Maybe today is the time for you to surrender and place that person into God's hands. Remember, the choice is the gateway. Once you pass through the gateway, then there's a process of a pathway to be restored back into who God designed you to be and back into his image. It's a process and sometimes it lasts for a lifetime. And I think he planned it that way because then our dependence has to be on him for our whole life. There's no better step to take than today. You know, when, when we were there, we went to the place where the cross was. And at the foot of that cross, there's a place where one person can kind of just get in that box and just lay everything at the foot of the cross. And I did in a brand new way while I was there. My brother did as well. And when he came out, he was so overtaken. I've never seen him kind of cry like that. Oh, that's embarrassing for you, isn't it? <laughs> Had to do that. <laughs> it, was, it was a moment that was really overwhelming. I don't even know what God did there. And that can be the same for you because somebody came to your mind. Something came to your mind. And maybe today is the day that you just choose to forgive. There's no better place than here. There's no better time than now. And as the uh, band sings this song, just allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. 
If you are a new Christian and would like to know what to do next, or where to go from here, you will want to get a free Next Step packet that contains reading materials and useful resources that will point you in the right direction. For more information, please contact Salem Fields Community Church at 540-786-6212 or visit our website at salemfields.com or email us at podcast at salemfields.com.